we thank you for your love that pursues us to the uttermost. From your throne to our groan, to the guttermost, you have pursued us. Help us, Lord, to do the same. In this world of conflict and absolute insanity, Lord, help us not to lose the heart that you want us to have for our fellow man. For the person who's thinking we are tempted to despise, Lord, may we not despise them, but may we reach out to the lost sheep. We ask these things, Lord, for your glory. Thank you, Lord. We're part of the 99. <laughs> Help us all to go after the one. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy 5th of July, everybody. <laughs> I found this picture. I just loved how the sunlight shines through the flag in the shape of a cross, reminding us that our freedom is bestowed to us by Almighty God. Our founders believe that for themselves anyway. <laughs> and we're learning to apply it to others. Watch this. freedom through the sacrifice of others. And I want to thank you guys for your sacrifice, especially in this season, and for those who are watching us online. Thank you so much for your sacrifice for our country and for our veterans and public servants and first responders. Thank you so much for all that you do. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew chapter 18. Now we're going to hear a dramatic reading of it from the NIV version. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? 
If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I love this parable in its context. The scriptures say in Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Set against the backdrop of this story is the context. Let me read to you the parable today. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that do not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish or go astray. Children are a priority to the Lord. And those of you that are involved in children and youth ministry, thank you so much for your sacrifice to help our younger ones to learn how to follow the shepherd and to not go astray in their ways. The loss of a sheep to us, it would be how much did the sheep cost at the auction, you know, or how much could the sheep bring at the livestock sale. But there's more to it than that because the longer a sheep lives, the more it can produce other sheep. Uh, each year it can produce wool. Uh, I read a story this week of a sheep that disappeared. He went astray for six years when they found him, it was unbelievable the amount of wool that he had, uh, like 70 pounds of it, all full of junk. I don't know if they could use it or not. Uh, they also milk sheep for cheese and things like that. I don't know, has anybody had sheep's milk? So it's the potential income that you get from a sheep that you lose when, you, when, that you lose when one goes astray. And so... It's time to rejoice. I mean, this is a realistic thing from sheep herder country. In cattle country, you got the loss of milk if it's a dairy cattle or the loss of meat if it's that or the loss of more cattle if they're a female. Uh, but with sheep, you have that additional loss of the wool. So this is something that's compared to people. Uh, there's a lot of people accusing one another of being sheeple right now. Depending on which shepherd you're following, you're accused of being sheeple. Well, the fact is we're all sheeple. We're the Lord's sheep, and he is our shepherd. So the importance is, the important thing is in all that's going on is that we follow the shepherd, that we know his voice and that he directs us and that his name reigns supreme in our life. At the risk of getting off on a rabbit trail and not getting back, I have to share this. Why is there so much polarization going on in social media? Here's why. Regardless of where you stand on, a, on an issue, when you write something, when you publish something, your name goes with it, right? Nobody likes to be proven wrong because what does that do th to their name? Your name is the word that represents your reputation, right? So people will dig in their heels and not back down from their case and even go to far extremes in logic and arguments and videos and, and, and makes us vulnerable to fake news because we're defending our name. Let me ask you a question. Whose name is above every name? The name of Jesus. So while I hate for my name to be affected by me being right or wrong, his name reigns supreme. That's where our peace is going to come. I once saw a sketch of two hilltops and stick figures on each hilltop. One's yelling at the other, I'm right, you're wrong. The other one, no, you're wrong, I'm right. 
And at the foot of the hills, in the valley between the two, stands a cross, and the stick figures are kneeling and saying, you're right. We're wrong. You're right. So our peace is going to come. Our freedom is going to come when we realize it's the Lord's name that we're living for, not to defend our name. So when you publish something, make sure your identity isn't attached to it. Because as the humble man said, even I can make a faux pas. All right, back to the sermon. We have been going through parables in Matthew this summer. And this parable is the one of the lost sheep. It's a true-to-life example that's easily understood. But today I understand it as something that points to our restoring the Lord's priority. That's our takeaway. What is his priority? His people. So here's the point I gleaned from the context today. We must beware of the sin of competitive pride. The story opens with verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were concerned about the fame of their name. And he had told them in another place that John the Baptist was greatest. But those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John the Baptist. So they were, you know, in another place, they were arguing about which one would sit on his right and his left. And even, even one of them's mama came and asked Jesus if it could happen for her boys. We've got to be aware of this. Uh, what does this have to do with the lost sheep? It has everything to do with the loss of purpose. And if we lose our purpose, we're not concerned with the Lord's sheep. We're not concerned with sheeple or people. We're concerned about other things. And so being concerned about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, they should know Jesus is. And uh, he made himself the least. And, but it's an opportunity for him to teach a lesson. Because as adults, they were overlooking the value of children. We must be restored by the Lord into being childlike ourselves. Who's read Lord of the Flies? It was required reading when I was in high school. And to me, the high point of the story is at the end, when the adults who are going to war rescue the boys and look down on them for being so evil not looking at their own condition. They weren't childlike, so it was horrible what had happened to these kids. Well, as adults, we lose that as well. Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, maybe put him on his lap, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, kids will fight and squabble, but they rarely don't fight about who's the greatest. They'll talk about whose dad can beat up whose dad. <laughs> whose dad is the greatest or whose mama's the greatest. And as parents, we help them grow out of that, yet it comes back to us in other ways. So children are humble. They'll forgive on demand. They'll let go of grudges on command. They're easily led to Jesus and they believe easily. Their imaginations are unhindered by wounds and prejudices and other things. And that's why caring for them is so precious so that they have a healthy childhood. But somehow we grow out of it and we lose the humility. We lose the easy-to-forgive nature that kids have. Two mamas will be upset at each other over what their kids did, and their kids will have forgiven and be out playing together in the backyard while well, they're having an argument. Need to become childlike. To restore the Lord's priority, we must humble ourselves in order to be great. Jesus went on to say, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Talk about upside down world. That's God's kingdom. In heaven, manifesting on earth. Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may you make us like little children because we are your children. Um, 
There's a verse that Paul wrote, in understanding be men, in malice be children. Children are not malicious unless they're just an evil, evil kid. We must value children as Jesus' representatives. He said, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. We don't want to be like W.C. Fields. Remember the comedian from the 20s? A guy that hates dogs and kids can't be all bad. (laughs) We must value children. It's not get away from me, kid, but value them. Value them enough if they're in your family to correct them and nurture them and disciple them and grow them because they represent Jesus. Even though a kid may not even be a follower of Jesus, But if we love them like we would love Jesus, Jesus takes that personal. I don't know if I believe that. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. It's what the scriptures say. I'll leave it between you and Jesus. We must help young believers in obeying the Lord. Now, that's kind of the reverse of what this verse says. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, now this is a child that believes in Jesus, if someone causes them to sin or go astray, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now this isn't a millstone that mama keeps in her kitchen. This isn't a rolling pin around their neck. No, this is a millstone drug around grain by a donkey. This is a severe penalty for causing a little one to sin. Let's go beyond just not causing a kid to sin. Let's help them obey the Lord. What is God's will for their life? That doesn't mean, you know, not to misbehave while you're at church. It's about their whole life. What is God's will for their life? Help them to hear the Lord's voice and I hope I'm inspiring somebody to want to be involved in children's ministry. It's a good time right now to sign up. We must remember that corruptors will be dealt with. So much so. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. Now, in the context, this is about offending children, hurting them. And it's bad news for the person that does that. But we live in the offended states of America, don't we? Everybody taking up offenses. But we must be careful that we live a life that is not offensive, unnecessarily so. Right? As much as depends on you, walk in peace with everybody. We must be ruthless in dealing with our rebellions. Now, what Jesus is fixing to say here is very extreme. And basically, he's saying it's better to go to heaven handicapped than to hell whole. Look at this. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter into life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into fiery hell. What trips us up? Deal with it. Get rid of it. Get a handle on it and cut the handle off. In the context here, it's, it's what would cause you to cause a little one to, to sin. What would cause you to want to not see children succeed? Maybe you had a horrendous childhood. So how do you pluck that eye out? Forgiveness. Receiving prayer. Confessing to someone, I hate kids. I can't stand their snotty noses. They're messy diapers. I don't like them. Deal with that. Focus on that and say, I need to deal with that. 
Somehow as Christians, we, we, because we're so blessed by the Lord, we see his blessing as God's approval on everything in our life. He loves us enough to save us like we are, but he loves us enough not to leave us that way, right? So we'll move right on here. But if you've got an issue with the younger ones, pray. Get some help because it's important. We must not despise those for whom the Lord cares. Maybe you don't have a problem with kids, but you have problems with other people. Do I have to make it real clear? Um, they're represented by elephants or donkeys? All right, we'll move right on. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So Jesus came to save the lost little ones and big ones. But children are so valuable that their angels, apparently there are angels assigned to them, they've got access to the Father 24-7. If they're that much of a priority, we need to make value adjustment. We must understand the priority of one stray person, not just little ones, but big ones who've gone astray in their life. They're all messed up. They have drunk the Kool-Aid. They have... <laughs> Swallowed the poison. They need our love and mercy. In light of that, let's read this parable together. Can we read it? What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he find it, Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, our country was founded on the value of people having the freedom to pursue their own happiness. And with that comes a desire for fairness. When things are fair, we're happy, right? Nobody's happy with an, with an unfair umpire or referee or judge, right? But we live in a world that's not fair. Is it fair to the 99 to be left behind and and for the shepherd to go after the one? Hey, it's dinner time. Feed us. Hey, I'm thirsty. Is that fair? There's an Australian ministry that did a video of this. I can't find it anymore. They took it down probably because it wasn't fair. But uh, people were portraying sheep. They had woolly uh, costumes on them. And the 99 are saying, it's not fair. It's made in Australia. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that he leaves us and goes after that one rebellious. He should just let them go. It's not fair. But the truth is, they're sheep or sheeple. The shepherd has the priority. Who owns the sheep? The shepherd, right? So the question of fairness doesn't even, I mean, I hate to burst our bubbles, that it doesn't even count. Ultimately, in heaven, you're going to be happy with the way everything works out. But here on earth, you've got to understand the king has a priority, and it's his people. You ever put together a puzzle? It's not fair that you leave all those loose pieces there while you put two together. It's just not fair. But guess what? There are times coming... Slow down. Be patient. This parable is told also in Luke 15. Watch this. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. 
Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is the significance of the lost coin? Well, in Middle Eastern culture and other nations of the world, the third world, there is a thing called dowry. Uh, in India, <laughs> the husband gets the dowry, but in Africa, the wife gets the dowry or her family gets the dowry. And we look at that as slavery or you're selling, you know, women. But really the wisdom in it is if, especially where life expectancy is low, is if something happens to the husband, if he dies or runs off, the woman's not left penniless. And so these coins were incredibly important. And to lose one would be looked down upon as being incredibly irresponsible. So when she finds it, she's excited. Of course she cares about the nine. Of course the shepherd cares about the 99. But the priority at the time is that which was lost. Following those two stories in Luke 15 is the story commonly called the prodigal son, where there was rejoicing when that lost kid came home. He got his inheritance ahead of his father's death, and blew it all and was left in bad shape, came home, his father rejoiced through a party for him. But the elder brother, the faithful one, like the 99 or the nine coins, was not happy. He was preoccupied with fairness. You never threw me a party. You never, there was dancing in that parable. Oh, there's dancing in the Bible. You never did these things for me. And the father said, son, everything I have is yours. He already got his inheritance. Being the eldest, he got double anyway. But the preoccupation with fairness caused him to lose sight of his father's priority. So we must not despise those for whom the Lord cares. We must understand the priority of one stray person. I say to you, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. That was verse 7, verse 10 at the end of the parable of the lost coin. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the angels, the invisible ministers of God are excited about restoring the lost and the fallen. Would you not say this is a priority? 
If it's rejoicing material, we need to rejoice when someone comes home. And I know we do. We're that kind of church. We cheer one another on. But I want to take it to the next level beyond rejoicing, to seeking and searching for those that have fallen. People's greatest needs are respect and security. And when people make us feel disrespected or make us feel insecure, we don't want to be around them. But if they're God's lost sheep, where's our hearts? And our being respected, it's about his name, right? And our being secure, our security's in him. We're talking about restoring the Lord's priority or the Lord's people. What is this? It's a sheep in a highway. You reckon he belongs there? No. He's lost. So when it comes to the Lord's lost people, obviously we pray, we seek for them in prayer, and if angels are concerned, they can, they can be involved in this. This parable he, in, is echoed in Jesus describing himself in John 10. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, in the context of that day, we understand he's talking about the Gentiles. He came to the lost children of Israel first, right? And then he gave the great commission to go into all the world. So the lost sheep of Israel are still his priority, but also the great commission is still his priority. There's lost sheep out there, lost in Islam, lost in atheism, lost in politics, lost in poverty, lost in sickness. There are other sheep that are not yet in the fold. I'm trying to help you catch the Father's heart, that he cares about us, yes, but he cares about others. He loves the ones I can't stand as much as he loves me. That's a bubble buster. Let me ask you a question. Does God love Chaz Bono? Her mama, Cher, named her Chastity. She's had surgery and trying to be a man, but does God love her? All right, I'm going to show you a series of pictures, and the question remains, does God love this person? Does God love this guy? Oh, pastor, that's got to be from a movie. It's not real. Okay. Well, does God love this girl? Look what she's done to her tongue. Oh, that's evil. But does God love her? Does God love this person? I'm preaching to myself. Yes. All right. But pastor, these are outliers. These are extreme examples. They really won't apply to my life. I'll never cross paths with someone like that. Maybe that's all makeup and they're in a circus. It's not real. Well, let's, you, you want to make it real? We'll make it real. Are there lost sheep in the Chaz Chop section of Seattle? Hello? With all the craziness going on there, that ought to be, they ought to put a stop to it, right? But they're not. So it is what it is. I'm not defending them. But the point is, are there lost sheep in there? There is a church called Seattle Revival Center that is sending ministry teams in there, and they're leading lost sheep to Jesus. They've not allowed the craziness in their city to distract them from their purpose. Who wants to have an eternal perspective? That's what we're talking about. All right, we all know the George Floyd story. 
Look at what's happening now at the place where he died. take to do that cutting off the hand that offends you plucking out the eye that perspective that prevents you from seeing things from God's way so where do we stand today is the question concerning lost sheep a man from that part of Minnesota St. Paul his name Nate Saban, and he wrote a song called That's the Man. It goes like this. See that man, the one right over there, the one who's looking at you with that empty kind of stare, just standing on the corner, hardly cut your eye. I guess you didn't know he's a very important guy. That's the man that Jesus died for. Not just any ordinary man. He's the very one that Jesus had in mind. When he wrote salvation's plan, that's the man that Jesus died for. Not just any ordinary man. Thought you'd recognize him by the tear in his eye. Thought you'd know. Thought you'd tell him. He's the man. So surprised, it's very plain to see. He's not the kind of man you expected him to be. Looks just like any other man you'd run into. Maybe now you'll see him from a different point of view. That's the man Jesus died for. Not just any ordinary man. He's the very one Jesus had in mind when he wrote salvation's plan. That's the man Jesus died for. In preparing for this sermon, I couldn't get this song out of my head and my imagination sometimes gets confused with my memory. You ever remember some far-off place from the past, and then you go there, and it's not like that? That's where the imagination gets carried away. So I even called a friend that I thought all along, he's the one that sang it. He says, I never heard that song in my life. <laughs> so I called my brother, and he said, Nate Saban wrote it. And that's how I got a hold of the lyrics. So in the wake of me not knowing and wanting to, wanting to uh, share this song, I wound up writing a song. Trying to recreate what I thought it was. It's nowhere near what he wrote, but I'd like to read it to you. Who's that man standing over there, scarred and tatted with an empty stare? Wondering why it seems no one cares. Who's that man standing over there? That's the man Jesus died for. That's the man he gave his life to save. Oh, yes, that's the man. Who's the person lying in the ditch? Robbed, wounded, hardly wears a stitch, dodged, avoided, shunned, and ditched. Who's the person lying in the ditch? That's the man Jesus died for. Is he your brother, long-lost friend or son? Could be a neighbor, foe or past problem. Orphan child related to no one. Is he your brother, long-lost friend or son? That's the man Jesus died for. That's the man that he gave his life. To save, oh, that's the man, that's the man Jesus died for, 
That's the man that he gave his life to save. Oh, that's the man. Father, help us to be aware always that lost sheep are everywhere. Help us, Lord, to seek you, to make us sensitive to your voice, to recognize we are on assignment, Lord. Line our hearts up with the fame of your name and your priority and your purpose, Lord. May we not miss out on opportunities, especially at this time when people are so vulnerable, Lord. May we be bold as lions, to share your good news, to reach out with your love to those that are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Give us wisdom. (laughs) I'd like for us to close the service by drawing near to the Lord. We've come through a crazy season and it's still not over, right? The governor has issued executive orders that we, we wear masks, face masks in public places, and as a church, he strongly encourages we wear a mask, and so we put out word yesterday that we strongly recommend that you wear a mask unless uh, one of the 11 exceptions he lists in his order applies. So my concern is that we just get so involved in that controversy that we miss out on the clarity of understanding what God is doing and our part in it. That when this season is over, we don't look back with any regret. Well, I was just a revolutionary or a whiner or a sheeple. (laughs) But Lord, make us effective for you. Amen. And it all starts with our returning to the shepherd ourselves. Because the enemy wants to lead us astray, does he not? So in this room could be some stray sheep. So as Josh comes to sing over us, I want us just to get on our knees before the Lord, if you're able to, and on your knees in your heart if you're not, and let's seek the Lord afresh to return to our first love and to the priority and purpose that he's called us to as his people. Because as we grow, there's a transformation that happens. We all become under-shepherds called becoming leaders. And so may we as sheep and shepherds return to the bishop and shepherd of our soul. The front is open if you'd like to come and kneel here.
Jesus is the great shepherd and overseer of our souls, he became one of us. His cousin John called him the Lamb of God, the, the sheep of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He's our sacrificial lamb. Why? to restore us to the Father. And yet he is our shepherd and dispenses angels and his spirit is moving in the earth to accomplish his plans and he wants to use us. So if you have been a stray sheep, the Lord is calling you home. He reaches out for you and says, come home, child. You're mine. You're not hearing this by accident. You didn't tune in online by accident but you're mine, come home I want you, re return to your purpose, return to my purposes my priorities and develop a love for people amen amen thank you so much for worshiping with us today, the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go get him, sheeple. <laughs> God bless you. Amen.